The New Statesman. Hello and welcome to the latest Spotlight podcast brought to you in association with the Luxembourg Stock Exchange. I'm Becky Slack. The need to move to a net zero economy is an urgent one. And as far back as 2021, the context for that transition has been one of additional crisis. Alongside the ongoing climate and nature crises, the energy crisis, exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, has changed the playing field. And these are, of course, all interlinked. Today, we are going to be discussing how the energy crisis has affected the move to net zero, the role of sustainable finance in the green transition, and the politics of concerted action on these existential issues. Joining me to discuss all this and more today are Letitia Hammond, Head of Sustainable Finance at the Luxembourg Stock Exchange, and Miguel Gil Tetra, Chief Economist at the European Commission's Directorate General for Energy. Letitia and Miguel, welcome to the podcast. Miguel, before we get to the green transition itself and the role of sustainable finance within that, I wondered if you could give an overview for our listeners of how the energy crisis developed, the impact that it's had and where we are now. Yes, I think we have lived uh, through exceptional times in 2021-2022. I mean, the origin of the crisis is the natural gas markets. We experienced the weaponization from uh, Russia, who was the supplier of 40% or total natural gas supplies, uh, there were very severe disruptions. There was also, you know, a lot of uncertainty into the market, but we believe that the worst of the crisis has passed. Thanks to the decisive policy action of uh, the EU, and we have the Repower EU plan, which is based on measures related in the short term to diversification, energy efficiency, but also on the long term on the deployment of renewables, and the launch of different sources of uh, energy in Europe and for electricity generation, we have been able uh, in just one year to move from 40% of our imports of natural gas from Russia to less than 10%. Nowadays, the prices are back into the historical ranges. Our storages are at a very high level for this time of the year. Some of the demand has been reduced without causing a recession in Europe. We have built new infrastructure that you know ensures that you know we can diversify in the way that we had foreseen, and with less than ten percent of the market, the possibility of uh, Russia to weaponize uh, this energy and bring prices up, you know, due to further actions on their side, is very much reduced. So, if the storages continue to be refilled, if you know the level of demand reduction that we achieved last year continues we would be in a good situation in the winter 23 and 24. Thank you. That sounds like a positive story. What has it meant for the green transition? Has it been as positive for that? Has the crisis impacted on efforts to move over to renewable energy? I think so, because, I mean, from the start, our analysis showed that winding down the dependency on fossil fuels from Russia and the Green Deal were not contradictory. Actually, if we would have had more renewables in the system, the capacity of Russia to weaponize energy would have been much lower. The increases in prices would have been much lower. Now, there has been anecdotal evidence on, you know, some coal plant here and there or some gas plant being reactivated for reasons of security of supply. But when one looks at the overall data of last year, one can see that uh, there has been an acceleration. So we are at record levels of the deployment of renewables, also energy efficiency, and actually emissions 
have not increased. So I think that this crisis with Russia actually has accelerated very much the Green Deal in Europe, which now comes not only for reasons of decarbonization, but also reasons of affordability and reasons of security of supply. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Letitia, you lead the team at the Luxembourg Stock Exchange UN awarded platform for sustainable finance, the Luxembourg Green Exchange or LGX, which is the first of its kind to be established globally. Can you outline for our listeners why LGX was founded and how difficult or easy it's been to get that up and running? Yes, sure. If you've followed the developments of sustainable finance, you may remember that 2015 was really a turning point in that sense, where it was actually the first time where you had a group of scientists coming with financial players to agree on a plan to reduce emissions, and that was the Paris Agreement. And a little bit actually earlier that year as well, still 2015, we had witnessed the launch of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals by the United Nations. They were adopted by world leaders, and it was really a call for action, but not only for governments, but also for the private sectors. And I think there were a number of people at the exchange who listened to that call and wanted to react to it. And that is specifically in that context that we've created the LGX. The objective really of the platform is to shed light on sustainable securities. We want to give more transparency. We want to give more trust. And ultimately, this is because we want to shift capital to finance a lower carbon and and more inclusive economy. To answer your question and difficulty, I I wasn't there actually when the uh, LGX was launched, but I witnessed it from the outside. And it was certainly very impressive. Of course, there were a number of people that were skeptical and that thought that it would be a fad. And we're not surprised about that in 2016. But there was also a lot of supporters of the idea. And not only in Luxembourg, by the way, but very globally, there were a lot of people that trusted the initiative. And it was considered actually very bold because right from the beginning, we decided that issuers that will be displayed on LGX should commit to post-issuance reporting. So what that means is that they had to publish the real allocation of proceeds of those bonds to the project that they will be financing. And that was really not market practice at the time. It was really best practice and it was quite a, a bold move. So now we're um, six years and a half uh, after the launch of LGX and it proves that it's a real success. We're still today the leading platform dedicated to sustainable debt instruments. We display around uh, 3,200 instruments on the platform. Half of them are sustainable bonds. They've been issued by 275 issuers in over 55 countries. So that's very international investors that trust this platform. And those bonds have been able to raise around 890 billion for sustainable projects around the world. So very important here. So for for listeners who aren't familiar with it, can you explain a bit about how it works and why platforms like the LGX matter? Yes, sure. And and I guess that's a fundamental question, isn't it? Why it matters. But first, I think it's important for your listeners to understand the role of capital markets in financing the energy transition. The first point that I'd like to mention is that, and Miguel will probably elaborate on that, but the technology required for the energy transition is developing at a very fast pace, but that requires a lot of financing. And at a very important pace as well, if we want to meet the 2050 deadline. There's a lot of public money already out there, but uh, obviously they can't do it by their own. So private investors need to be mobilized. And there's also a question around the banking sector. Banking sector has done a lot of things, but they've uh, faced since the crisis a number of uh, you know liquidity and capital requirements. So they can't finance all of that on their own neither. So that's really where the capital markets come into the picture and can play a significant role to finance the transition. Yeah. 
So what we do at the exchange at LGX specifically is to have that platform so that we can display securities, we can give trust and transparency to investors who want to invest in these products, we can give more credibility to these products um, for issuers who issue these products. That's on the platform side. But we also realize that we need to address other challenges in the market, being education, data, and capacity building. And so we don't stop at the platform level, but we've also created an LGX Academy because we are so convinced that we need to raise the level of understanding when it comes to sustainable finance and the instruments that are used. Uh, we've developed a database also that gathers information that around 10,500 securities because we also believe that asset owners and asset managers need to have this information to make investments, to be able to monitor their investments, to understand where their money is going and the impact that it's created. And last point, I was mentioning capacity building, because we are also very much convinced that we need to help issuers everywhere in the world, not only in Europe, and explain how they can issue these types of instruments. But there's a lot of technical assistance that is required in this place as well. So um, this is a lot, but uh, very broad elements to be able to tackle all, all the challenges that we witness. Miguel, did you have anything to add? Financing is a really, it's a, it's a real key issue in the transition, because certainly the transition will not be achieved on the basis of public money. Mm. Now, it doesn't need to. Uh, we can see it, you know, and this is one of the things that we learned throughout the crisis. And I was looking at the at some of the figures, you know, this uh, this morning. But some of the investments that need to be done are profitable, can be done by the private sector, and certainly they make sense. I mean, today, you know, with the high gas prices of last year. We saw high profit margins for uh, unsubsidized uh, photovoltaic farms in in Spain. So the solar electricity generation can now be made in most of the parts of the European Union without the need of massive public subsidies. So with innovation, with time, there is a whole new economy that is uh, that is uh, evolving that makes uh, that makes sense. And uh, I see, you know, that uh, we need to ensure that the public sector makes a difference and provides an added value where it can, but also let the overall economy to deliver this change. There's also, if I can add, we don't have to oppose public and private finance. Exactly. They can work together and there are a number of instruments that we see now um, evolving on the market that are blended finance vehicles where public money will be there as uh, you know anchor investors or they will offer guarantees or uh, first loss tranches and the aim of that is to mobilize more private finance and so they work together exactly i think the point of Leticia is a very important one and i and i would like to insist they need to work together i mean uh, it was 10 years ago, I was myself preparing what was known as the Juncker Plan at the time. It was the summer of uh, 2013 or 14 that I was working on that. And clearly, I mean, there is a role of the public sector where it can de-risk some of the investments and actually bring in private investments, you know, in a, in a, in a massive way into the sector. So we need both to work together. Indeed. Uh, Miguel, I mean, in addition to the financial aspects of it, I guess political consensus is also quite important as well. From your position at the European Commission, what's the situation there? Is is there support within the EU for the move to net zero? I think so. And uh, I think, I mean, that, you know, we are having, you know, a higher support, but also a support that is more pragmatic. And what I wanted, you know, to say is that we all know that we need to do the transition. There is a need to decarbonize the economy because the cost of not doing it 
is going to be massive in the future. And there is a consensus about that. But it's not only that, you know, it's important for the future, but it's also important for the present. So, for instance, the same investments in renewable energy that made sense because we wanted to decarbonize the economy, they also make sense from the point of view of security of supply of energy. I mean, once you have a solar farm on European soil, no third country can cut, you know, the access to this energy. But also the fact that, you know, electricity becomes more affordable to the final consumer. So I think that there is an actual recognition of the alignment of the green transition for reasons that are not only about the decarbonization of the planet. Yes, absolutely. Since it was launched in 2016, the, the LGX, the world has changed quite significantly. We've had a pandemic and an energy crisis, as, as we've been discussing. They both had quite um, devastating economic effects. How far has that kind of impacted progress with regards to the energy transition? Are we progressing as fast as, as we need to? Well, you know, 2021 was really a record-breaking year in terms of sustainable issuances. So the pandemic, during the pandemic, there was a lot of issuances, actually. But 2022 saw really a, a slowdown in, in the number of issuances, and that's due to the war, as you mentioned, and also the related rise in interest rates that slowed down the, the, the market. But if we zoom out a little bit and we look back a little bit more since the exchange, I think when we launched LGX, the amount of debt, of sustainable debt issued by issuers on the exchange was probably around 2%. But now uh, the amount of sustainable debt issued on Luxembourg Stock Exchange is around 80% of the total amount. So there is a huge increase in there. And that's a reflection of, of the market. That's really uh, important to mention. And we don't want just to look back at 2022. Uh, and there is also a number of very interesting elements that show the transition. The green bond market has continued to dominate, of course, but there's good examples uh, like Ostedt, the Danish company I'm sure you know about. They were, in the years 2000, the most coal-intensive power generators in Europe. But now they've decided to completely change to become a green energy company. And since 2017, they've only been issuing uh, debt in the green format, uh, and that is to finance their transition. They are listed, uh, by the way, on, on uh, the stock exchange and displayed on LGX. And now 80% of their total bond portfolio yeah. is green. So super interesting example when it comes to using green bonds for that transition. But there are also other instruments that could um, play a role. And here I wanted to highlight the uh, sustainability-linked bonds. So we call them SLBs. And those ones are super interesting when it comes to the transition because we are not necessarily looking at the proceeds raised by the bonds and how they will be allocated to projects, but we look at the issuer itself. And the issuer itself has to commit to sustainable performance targets and define specific KPIs within a set deadline. If the issuer fails to reach those targets, then there will be a penalty that will be applied. Usually that's a coupon step up, so the issuer has to pay more to the investors. And so that's really something that is used by issuer who wants to transition. They want to show that they're making progress, but they can't really issue green bonds per se. So it's been used by a number of entities in the utility sector. And we've got an example here also about uh, Rexa, which is a company specialized in the distribution of electricity. They've issued a seven-year SLB back in November 2021. So super interesting is that their target is 2023 this year. So we will see whether they meet those targets as well. 
And Letitia, just a follow-up question, if I may. I mean, what, what's the kind of um, growth trajectory for the LGX? Are you anticipating it growing substantially very quickly, or is this something that's going to happen over time? The growth is exponential. Of course, we have to take into account what happens in the world. Huh? So uh, there was a slowdown in 2022. You know the reasons, but uh, the growth is absolutely exponential now. There's a, a, and Miguel outlined that there is a huge need in financing the transition, not only in Europe, and I want to uh, outline that as well, not only in Europe, but in emerging countries as well. And since in those countries, local capital markets need to be uh, developed as well. They need to start from being sustainable uh, as from the beginning. So there is a huge uh, demand in emerging markets as well. Uh, we, by the way, at LGX, have a lot of uh, cooperation agreements with our peers in, uh, in India, in Latin America, but also in Africa where we try to cooperate to develop uh, sustainable finance through education, through technical assistance, capacity building. There's a lot to do still. Um, Miguel, just staying with sort of outside of Europe, um, what have you got your eye on that's interesting that you're learning from or, or wanting to participate in? I, I think that ultimately, you know, the efforts need to be done globally to have a, you know, a good impact on the climate. Now, we need to acknowledge that we have, you know, different starting positions, mm -hmm. but that also there has been, you know, uh, some uh, leapfrog, you know, in terms of uh, development from uh, different, uh, you know, different parts of the world. I think that the focus of the Commission now in ensuring stable and cheap supply of raw materials and commodities to be able to do the green transition is a critical one. Uh, it is becoming, you know, more evident that we would need, you know, cobalt, we would need lithium copper to be able to do this green transition. And if we want to do it in a way where we are, I think that the focus of the commission now in ensuring stable and cheap supply of raw material commodities to be able to do the green transition is a critical one. It is you know, more evident that we would need you know, cobalt, we would need lithium, uh, we would need copper to be able to do this uh, transition. And if we want to do it in a way where we are not surprised by volatility events or, you know, sudden price changes. We need to work with partners. We need to diversify and we need to learn from the lessons, you know, of our dependency with Russia. I think that this is a key matter that we need to work on. And also, you know, as Europe, we, uh, I mean, believe in international cooperation and, uh, you know, we need to continue to work clearly with other parts of the world in, you know, be it in the COP in the context of the G20, G7, and so on. I think we've got time for just one more question. It's a question to both of you. Obviously, um, we, we're aiming to be carbon neutral by 2050. How realistic is that? Are we on track to meet those goals? Well, you know, I've, I've been working in that sector. Well, I've always actually been working in that sector of sustainable finance since I started in 2007. And at the time, people were not very optimistic as to whether sustainable finance and climate finance would, would reach uh, the top of the agenda. Now, of course, there's a lot of criticism that we can address and companies that are, you know, doing some greenwashing and the things that are not going uh, fast enough and we need to go faster and develop more uh, or mobilize more private money, of course. But I am also very much amazed by all the things that have been done over uh, the last decade and especially coming from the commission, if I can, if I can mention that, the sustainable finance action plan and all the regulation that came out of it, whether they can be criticized or not, are so crucial. They've helped in um, defining 
what we mean by sustainable activities. They've been uh, able to show light on uh, what is a sustainable finance instrument, how we can define them, uh, how they can disclose information. So there's a lot to be done, uh, of course, if we want to reach the targets. But I'm, I'm very optimistic, actually, uh, as to we can do it. And Miguel? I think, I mean, that we need to look at, you know, this objective in a comprehensive way. I mean, I think that there are areas where globally we have advanced a lot. There are areas that we need to monitor because there might be lagging behind. And, you know, there are areas that would need, you know, that are doing okay, but where we need, you know, more, more cooperation. I think we have done, you know, a great advancement on the deployment of uh, renewables globally, clearly. I think the energy sector is a sector where the green transition and the clean technologies are embedded now, you know, in a market and, uh, you know, there are are solutions in there and the need for public support is much less. There are other parts of the economy where we would need, you know, to continue to ensure progress and the importance of working with others. You know, at the end of the day, if it's Europe only that does, you know, this effort, the difference in terms of emissions might not be, you know, what we we need. So to me, uh, the conclusion is that we need to take stock on, you know, what we have done well, because I think a lot has been done. Continue to monitor, you know, these areas where, let's say, you know, the effort or the development has not been, you know, that uh, big and continue to work, as it was mentioned, with uh, other international partners, but very much as, you know, Leticia, Leticia mentioned before, the private sector. I think this change can only, you know, be a change of the overall economy. It cannot be only a change of the public sector. So um, lots of progress, but still a lot of work to do that we've we've all got to contribute to. That's all we have time for today. Many thanks to Miguel and Letitia for joining us. You've been listening to a special New Statesman Spotlight podcast in partnership with the Luxembourg Stock Exchange. I'm Becky Slack and our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening.